Please join me in praying. Gracious Father, by your Holy Spirit, speak to us this morning. Help us to hear your word as truly the inspired word of God. That it might make a difference in our lives. That we might draw closer to Christ and be more like him. We ask this in his name. Amen. Would you please be seated. This morning at 6.45 a.m., I had an experience that was a little bit shocking. Shouldn't have been. I will tell you why. You see, normally, every Saturday morning, I go to Hy-Vee and I get donuts for our family. But yesterday, a number of things happened making it hard for me to do that. And so this morning, I went to Hy-Vee at 6.45 a.m. to get donuts for the family. And when I opened the door, I saw something I have never seen at 6.45 in the morning at Hy-Vee. There were about a dozen to two dozen men roaming around the flower section. (laughs) You might think it was Mother's Day. They were all just, I mean, it is the busiest I have ever seen the floral section, and it was 6.45 a.m. And what I thought was, they're trying. They are trying hard. I mean, you can't get flowers before Sunday, right? They'll go bad. I mean, they're getting fresh flowers for these ladies. But it got me thinking about Mother's Day, and I had run across a few quotes that I thought, they're funny, but they also say something important about moms. Life doesn't come with a manual. It comes with a mother. If at first you don't succeed... Try doing it the way mom told you to do it in the beginning. Nothing is really lost until your mom can't find it. I want my children to have all the things I couldn't afford. Then I want to move in with them. (laughs) You know, I think something that is really important and profound about Mother's Day is it helps to reset us or it can help to reset us. We all know how much moms do, but it is easy to lose sight of that. And once a year, we are brought to this place to remember, to see again the things that our moms do. And that is this little two-part series we're in about how at times in our lives we don't see what God is doing. We don't even see God. We wonder if he's there. He feels silent. And last week we talked about some of the reasons why we may not see the Lord. This week we see in the passage their eyes are opened. So what makes the difference? How is it that we begin to see God at work? That's what we want to look at today. I want to invite you, if you would, to open your Bibles to Luke 24. 
We're continuing in this Emmaus Road passage. It's on page 1507, Luke chapter 24. And I want to just tell you the story because Luke did such a great job under the inspiration of the Spirit writing and constructing the story. And last week what we saw is the two disciples on the day of the resurrection. They're leaving Jerusalem. They're heading back probably to home. They're on their way toward Emmaus. It's a seven-mile walk. And they are intently engaged in conversation. And then this stranger shows up. And this stranger begins to give them this Bible study. And here's what ends up happening after the Bible study. Verse 28. As they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going further. So you have this picture where they've been walking. He has shared the scriptures with them. And then they get to the place where they're going and they kind of turn off going toward Emmaus. And Jesus looks as if he's just going to keep going. He's not assuming or presuming that he can just head with them. He's going to keep going the way he was going. But, verse 29, they urged him strongly, stay with us. All right, so they turn off, he keeps going. They turn, wait, 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 hey, stay with us. Don't keep walking. And they give a reason why. Stay with us, for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. So he listens, he goes, they head into the home, and then a scene happens that has happened numerous times in some way throughout the Gospels. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. You might recall that language from the feeding of the 5,000. He takes bread, he gives thanks, he breaks it, and there's a miracle of life as it begins to multiply and feed all of these people. You might especially remember it, of course, from the Last Supper, where he takes the bread and he gives them what we do, communion, the Eucharist, where he says, I'm still giving a miracle of life, but in this case, I'm going to give my life for you to have life. And so it recalls these things that he's done then verse 31, then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. This language parallels exactly what you see in Genesis chapter 3. Except in Genesis chapter 3, you have the first couple and they eat what they are not supposed to eat. And the text says their eyes are opened and they recognize their nakedness. And it causes them shame and guilt, and they want to hide from each other and from God. And here is a different meal where, again, their eyes are opened, and they recognize, but this time, they recognize Jesus. And he disappeared from their sight. Verse 32, they asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? Now, the point that I want to make today is that what happened to them in this room didn't happen in just that moment. There were things that led up to 
the moment when their eyes were opened. And that those same kinds of things can work in our life to lead up to seeing God. See, what Jesus could have done is he could have just said in this one moment, he could have showed up right in the room and just said, boom, you can see. Instead, you have this long thing that happens where he walks up to them as a stranger. He walks with them for a while. He has a conversation with them. He does a Bible study with them. He almost keeps going, but they invite him in. All these things happen. And what I want you to see is that what leads to the opening of their eyes was not just a moment, but it was a number of moments that happened. I was sitting at Panera preparing this message this week, and as I was sitting there, suddenly the manager walks into the middle of the room, and he's got one of the workers with him, a younger kid. I know exactly how old he was. And the reason I know that is because the manager said, hey, everyone, this is Sam. He turns 19 today. It's his birthday. And everybody's like, ah, happy birthday, happy birthday. And Sam was just standing there like this. Oh. And so then the manager walks away, and Sam is still standing there. And somebody goes, hey, you can smile. And Sam goes, uh, I didn't know this was happening. <laughs> That's a surprise. <laughs> that could have been done better. There were events leading up to what happens to these disciples. Right? I want to walk you through them. Number one, there was a humility in them. Right? Think about what they experienced on that road. They are grieving. They have lost the Messiah. They have lost their friend. They don't know what's going on. They thought he was the one. They're having this emotional conversation. Here comes a stranger. They don't know him. The stranger listens for a little while and then says, hey, what's going on? And they're like, what? You don't even know what's going on? And then he proceeds to say to them, how foolish you are and slow to believe. Now, I don't know about you, I would not have received that well. This is a guy who doesn't even know what's going on. We don't know him from Adam. And here he is calling us foolish. And yet, they don't have that response. In fact, they listen. They go along and they let Jesus do a Bible study for them. There is a humility in them where they are willing, even in a hard moment, to listen to somebody who, I hate to say this about Jesus, but I'm not sure that was the best approach to a grieving group of people. How foolish are you? And yet, they listened. That humility led to an openness. They not only listened to him do a Bible study, but they describe it later as our hearts were burning inside of us. They were listening and receiving the word of God. And humility does that. I will tell you, it is very difficult to receive the word of God and to be prideful. Those things don't work together well. And it's really easy to listen to the word of God, to parrot it back, but not to let it sink in. They are open to the word of God working in their lives. They are humble, 
They are open and they act on their faith. What happens when they get to Emmaus? Jesus wants to keep going. They start heading this way and then they stop and they do something they are not required to do. They don't owe him anything. He's a stranger who just called them a fool. And yet, they open up their home. Why? Because evening is at hand, which is, in other words, to say, it's dangerous out there. You should not be walking out there at night. They are showing hospitality and love of neighbor. They are living out their faith by inviting him in. All of those things, a humility, an openness to receive God's word, and acting out faith, They are all things that the scriptures talk about that help us to see the Lord. Will we do it? There's a book that we used to read to our kids by Laura Numeroff. The book is called If You Give a Mouse a Cookie. Some of you know the book. Some of you don't. Um, I just want to read a couple pages of this because I hope it will make the point. If you give a mouse a cookie, he's going to ask for a glass of milk. When you give him the milk, he'll probably ask you for a straw. When he's finished, he'll ask you for a napkin. Then he'll want to look in the mirror to make sure he doesn't have a milk mustache. When he looks into the mirror, he might notice his hair needs a trim. So he'll probably ask for a pair of nail scissors. When, he, when he's finished giving himself a trim, he'll want a broom to sweep up. He'll start sweeping. He might get carried away and sweep every room in the house. If I could find a mouse that would do that, I would give him a cookie. <sighs> do all my housework. Here's what I want you to notice. Everything leads to the next thing. You give the cookie the cookie leads to the next thing, it leads to the next thing, it leads to the next thing. I think that's what happens, is happening in this passage. The attitude of humility leads to a receptiveness of the word of God to dissect our lives, which can lead to us stepping into our faith, living our faith. That song that we just sung, Blessed Be Your Name, That song is about whether or not good things are happening or bad things are happening. We are trusting God and blessing him. That song is really easy to sing. It's catchy. It's got a nice little easy melody to it. Um, But do we live it? Is there an acting of our faith that says, when something good happens, Lord, I'm going to bless you. But also, when something is not going my way and I'm upset and I don't like this, I'm still going to trust you and bless you. Living out our faith. Now, in this particular passage, when their eyes are open, there's a particular event that is happening. And it is an event that we do each week. Communion. Now, it's not exactly communion. This is not our formal thing. They don't have an altar. There's no priest dressed in robes. But this is what he did in the Last Supper And this is what the church has continued to do throughout the centuries. We are doing communion. We are doing Eucharist. And here's what I want you to hear about Eucharist. There is a special opportunity 
every single Sunday. Not only to remember, to remember what he did, but also to encounter him, to meet him. You see, when Jesus came to the last meal, he said this, I have longed to have this with you. And you are going to do this until I come again, and then we're going to do it in the kingdom. There's going to be a family meal in the kingdom. But between now and then, this is a moment where you come and we meet. This is our meal. And if you will approach the table in humility, being open to God's word, and acting on your faith, there is an opportunity for you to encounter the risen Christ, to see him, to have your eyes opened to what God is doing in your life, in the world, in the people around you, to encounter Christ. We have been working diligently, and so has his school, with Kelton on speaking. Because before he was diagnosed with autism, one of the big things we saw was he lost his speech. And we weren't sure, would he speak again? He had got down to basically a single word. And then as he was going through school, and they're working with him, and we're trying to work with him at home, he began to get more and more vocabulary. And now he wanders around the house babbling to himself all the time. We never wanted to stop, mostly. And he likes to experiment with volume like how loud and how loud and how loud and it just keeps going up and at some point you're like, oh gosh. But he loves words. But we can't always understand all of his words. And a couple of weeks ago, one of his teachers came out and she said, we were doing a puzzle and, and this puzzle had a dog on it and when we got the dog all done, he went, Griffin, do you guys know what Griffin is? I'm like, well, I know what a griffin is, but I'm not really sure what that has to do with Kelton. Like, we don't have, I don't know what that is. And like, it's griffin. And I thought, well, maybe it's, like, because we got a new dog, and that dog's name is Sebastian. We call him Bastion. Maybe that was, that didn't quite work either. We're really trying to figure this out. And so I talked to Aaron, and we worked through it, and like, none of us could figure out what in the world this kid was saying. And then, on Saturday morning, we're there, and he goes, Graffin, graffin something. And my 11-year-old goes, oh, he's calling Catherine. And we all went, oh, Catherine. Yeah, that makes complete sense. It sounds exactly like Catherine. And now every time he says it, we're like, oh, it's Catherine. Our eyes were opened. And we can't turn it off now. Like, I don't even hear anything other than Catherine now when he says it. It's so clear once my eyes were opened. Every week, we have an opportunity to see the Lord Jesus. When we come forth in faith, in humility, open to the word of God, and acting on our faith. Now, when our eyes are opened, this is what happens to them. This is the one little part I didn't read. If you look back at the text, verse 33 They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven. They got up and walked seven miles. There they found the eleven and and those with them assembled together and saying, 
it is true. Now, I'm going to state this in my own way because I want you to get an idea of what the people in that room might have heard. The dead guy that we all know was dead, whose body might be missing now because it was stolen, that we're all grieving, he's alive. How much courage does that take? How much faith does that take? How many people do you guys know that have died for three days and come back to life? And even if you did, how hard would it be to share that without people thinking you're totally nuts? But you know what happened when their eyes were opened? It led to their faith being expressed by sharing Christ. That is what he's looking for. He is looking for us to have our eyes opened. It can be beautiful to recognize the love and forgiveness and hope that's in Christ. It can be a wonderful experience to come forward and receive communion and have that moment where you meet with him and it brings you to tears. And that is perfectly wonderful. But it shouldn't stop there. We aren't given these glimpses. We aren't, our eyes aren't opened solely for our own benefit. It's so we can see more of him and share him with others. It's meant to impact us, to move us. We talk about the things that lead up to our eyes opening, but when our eyes are opened, it should lead to, or God wants it to lead to, us sharing that with others. And there's a number of ways you might do that. A woman named Heather Harris had two adopted daughters. And she had brought them to Walmart in Pennsylvania to buy new booster seats because their booster seats were expired and to buy new clothes because they had very little. She was having a really bad month at work and didn't have enough money, she realized, once they had gotten the booster seats and some of the clothing, she realized she did not have enough to pay for both of them. She made the decision that the kids, because they still had booster seats, they needed to replace them, but she would do that next month. And she had said, we got to put these back and we'll keep getting you clothes because you need these clothes for school. As they were finishing their clothes shopping, a man walked up to them and he handed her a bag. The bag had the two booster seats in it. The receipt was in it. And he said, I heard the sadness in your voice. And I'd really like your kids to have these. God bless you. She gave him a hug. And then she said, I just stood there. And he walked away. And she said, a few moments later, I was like, I got to go find him. Like, I need to know who this is. I need to take a picture with him. I need to, like, tell him thank you. I need to do something. And so Heather and her two daughters went and looked for this guy and found him at another point in Walmart Talked to him for a few minutes, took a picture with him, found out his name was Michael, and all these things. Well, she posted this, and as things would happen on Facebook, Yahoo News got a hold of it. They went and found this guy, and they interviewed him. And this is what came out of the interview he was a youth pastor at a church, he was being laid off when he did this. He had two, two babies at home. And they said, when they found all this out, they said, 
why did you do this? And he said, my wife and I know what it's like to struggle. And we have had people bless us even when we knew they couldn't afford it. And since that was done for us and we were shown God's love, we want to do it whenever we can for other people. That's why we did it. That is one way when God works in your life for you to work in the life of somebody else. Are there times when God may be calling us to just step right up and go, I want to tell you about Jesus? Absolutely. But there's also times where he's saying, will you just love somebody? Love them in my name. Do something sacrificial for them. And then see what I might do with it. God wants to open our eyes. And when he does, at times, it is that we might then share him with others. Would you pray with me? Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. My prayer today is that all of us would consider in humility letting your word really speak into our lives, letting it challenge us, letting it correct us, letting it guide us maybe into some uncomfortable ways that we wouldn't normally choose. Lord, help us to act out our faith, help our eyes to be open that we might see Jesus. Help us as we come forward this morning in faith for communion to encounter our Savior. And then, Lord, build in us a courage to share him in various ways with those around us. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.